Welcome back to the Fuse Show, everybody. My name is Jim, and I'm the co-founder of Xfusion.io and the co-host of the Fuse Show. I'm excited today to be joined by my guest, John Allen. John is a digital designer who builds products that empower human creativity. He's currently the founder and CEO of Lava, which is a mobile app that empowers you to create, share, and discover social audio. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Jim. Hi, right, so I want to start off on a little bit of a, a different uh, different vein, and you and I were just now ch- chatting about the Living Philosophies book by Albert Einstein. So will you set the foundation for that, and then we can dive in a little bit sure. deeper? Uh, it was really funny that you actually found this because, uh, <laughs> I did, like I just said, like it was kind of hidden from the internet. It's not quite finished. But um, essentially, Living Philosophies is this composition of work from, I believe, 22 intellectuals, maybe 20, uh, but 20, 20 to 22 intellectuals from the... Uh, 20th century. So people who are living around 1931, when Albert Einstein composed this, he essentially asked all these people to go and write down their, their life credos. So anywhere from five to 20 pages of how they view life, how they try to live life, just basically their, their opinions that they gathered throughout their lives. And he took these compositions and put it into a book called Living Philosophies. And I think the whole goal was just to kind of show the world like all these amazing thinkers and how they view the world because uh, they were from different parts of the world and had different perspectives. Uh, but this book, like the reason why I am kind of involved with it is that I found this book um, two years ago and I got really fortunate because this book was only written once in 1931. And so to go and buy it is, is really tough. It's very expensive. It's a book that can range anywhere from $200 to above $1,000, and they're very old, right? Because they were only written in 1931. And when I got it, I, I got this lucky deal on Amazon Marketplace where someone who was unknowingly selling it for $5 just let me buy it right there. And I got it, read it, and was like, wow, this information is just beautiful. Like, I don't know half these people, or I didn't before I read it. This information is just amazing, the way that they live, the way that they think. You know, a lot of the patterns still continue today. And so I saw that, I read it, and realized that the 90-year copyright ended in 2021. So I took the liberty to go. It's great timing. Very great timing. And so I was like, well, I'm, you know, I've never written a book. I don't necessarily have the desire to write a book. But this information is really good. And if it was free or at least cheaper, I think a lot more people would appreciate it as well. So I built a website, uh, pretty much wrote down the entire book, like read it word for word, like, wrote, like typed it all on my computer. And I'm in the process of editing it. So it's going to be out soon. And eventually it will be like a free website that anyone can go and, and read all these compositions. You know, th- this just came to my mind. I listened to a podcast recently by Naval, it's Naval Ravikant mm-hmm. and um, Chris Dixon on the Tim Ferriss show. And they were talking about Web3. I don't, did you happen to hear that? I didn't, but um, big fan of it's Naval. Well worth the listen, like mind-blowingly good stuff. And I've been just soaking in like the Web3 world, just learning everything yeah. about it. But it's relevant to this conversation because Naval was talking about the, the value in the blockchain and composability of software, open source software. And then he also relayed that to media. And one of the things that I've noticed with Naval is like, you know, he, he posts on Twitter pretty often. But what I see more than his own post are the Navalism or the like the like bots or whatever that that repurpose his yeah. content or reshare his content all the time. And I was thinking to myself, like, what was that? Like what he said in the past. Yeah, yes, I see that a lot. Exactly. But I think it's interesting because like, before I heard him on this podcast, my thought was like, I feel like most people would not like that. And I've even seen him reshare those. So it's obvious that he was okay with it. 
And, and he said in that in that podcast interview that information like that shouldn't be hoarded, that it should be free and available to the masses. And he considers that there's incredible value in the like composing of thought leaders' content. Like that that adds value in and of itself. So it made me think of what you're doing with this. And it's like there's real value in repurposing that content, even if you're not the original writer. Exactly. There's this trend in the you know trendy creator economy, which whatever it can. You can just know it as people who are, you know, famous online, but essentially there's this big trend where like curation is actually becoming a big role within, you know, the creator economy because you might have something really good to say, but maybe you don't want to always be present, always be saying your thoughts. You don't maybe always want to be a philosopher. You're just like a normal person, but there's a lot of people out there who you might respect and like, and if you can somehow compile all that information, whether it's in audio format on Lava, right, into a playlist or you know, in text format on Twitter and you just have all these lists that offers value to other people, right? Cause they don't just follow you because of Absolutely. you. They follow you because they know that you are someone who's always on the hunt to find good information and relay it back to your audience. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of what Tim Ferriss does. Yeah. I mean, like, I, like forever I've been so like enamored by what he does because like he, he's brilliant in his own right, but it's like, he just interviews whoever's he he's interested in interviewing on whatever topic piques his yeah. interest. And it's so wide ranging. He was talking about the other day. I don't know if it was on the same show or another one where he's planning to interview like a, a restorer of violins. Like this guy <laughs> restores violins for like a hundred for whatever reason, that's impressive to Tim Ferriss. And he was saying that like, look, some people listen to my show and they listen to every episode, but the majority just kind of pick and choose. Yeah. But I think it's just so interesting how, he can he can curate all of this incredible content from these thought leaders all around the world and put it in this uh, cohesive, um, you know, cohesive audio content that people enjoy. Consuming. Yeah, and it's kind of like also the way that information has always really been passed around. Like we tend to think, oh, these the leaders, the famous people that we know throughout history are the ones who invented all the things that they thought of or ever said, right? But in reality, like information and the way it works throughout time is that it just gets passed along, iterated on, and kind of like through the scientific method. You know, if it's good, it's, it stays. If it's bad or like something else comes around to prove that it's not correct, it kind of just gets pushed out of society. And all us humans do are, are basically like the mediums, the middlemen that take this information from the past and relay it to the future. So that's all curation mm -hmm. is as well. It's just kind of compiling information from the past and relaying it to the present. Yeah, well, that's a great way to, to put it and yeah. think about it. I, before we move on from, from um, you know, what Albert Einstein created, I, I'm wondering if there's anything that comes to mind that's, a philosophy from this this work that he put together that is top of mind for you. Yeah, so actually the reason why I discovered this book in the first place is because I saw a quote by Albert Einstein. <laughs> it's funny. I actually think I was doing some cheesy stuff and I was like, good quotes. Like I like to try to find good quotes. Like I was just Googling good quotes. Sure. And one of them came <laughs> up and I was like, wow, this is probably my favorite quote that I've ever heard. And it's, I'm going to botch it. It's not perfect line for line, but it's like the best experience that we can have as humans um, is a sense of mystery. Um, and that really resonated with me because I'm someone that's just naturally curious, right? Like if kind of like Tim Ferriss, yeah. like there's days where I just get into this mindset of like, oh, I want to know about physics. So I'm going to read this physics book. Or there's days where I'm like, I'm really interested in social media and how it works. I'm going to learn how these TikTok creators are really like thriving. Those are two very different mm -hmm. topics, right? But the fact that it's just like the mystery of it is what's alluring is like what is drew me to that quote, right? Because it's just like, I'm always just trying to find mystery and like unpack that and see what comes of it. Yeah, so that that's like the main thing that's kind of got in my life. You know, I'm very much the same. And I one of the things that comes to mind is like, 
I have been hampered at times by my pursuit of, I guess you could say mystery, novelty, et cetera, to the point where sometimes I'll abandon something that I probably in hindsight should have pursued longer to pursue the novelty of something mysterious. Like, so how do you, how do you balance? I mean, it's it's certainly a, you know, a fine line to play. It's, it's easy to get caught in, caught up in something and then lose interest once you realize that maybe you're not as interested. Like there's a good way of uh, reading books that I've heard. I used to think like, oh, you got to get a book, read it cover to cover or else you didn't read it. Right. And actually it's like people who get good at reading books are the people who can read the first 50 pages or even less and understand if they like it and be completely open-minded to just not read the rest. You know, like, oh, I didn't like that. I'm going to put it aside or maybe not right now. I'm going to put it aside. Or if you really like it, you're like, I'm going to actually dive in. It's kind of just like the practice of discipline when it comes to learning something doing something and also like the um the practice of long-term thinking because with businesses i i used to do that as well like this is the fourth company i've had lava it's the fourth company I've, I've started i've had three other companies in the past over the past four years none of them have worked or else i wouldn't probably be creating lava i'd probably be working on them but i realized like you know after a year going in i had these long-term visions that i actually was really driven towards But in the short term, I was like, this is going to take way too long to actually make work. And I don't know if I'm the person to do it. So I was okay with giving it up. But at the same time, that's a fine line because maybe those visions were correct. Maybe my timeline estimations on how long it would take to actually realize those visions were wrong. And maybe I actually dropped it too early without giving it a chance. Yeah. I'm not perfect at it. It's hard to find that. Well, it's hard. I mean, it's tough. Like I... I'm, I'm trying to find that balance now. I was having a conversation with my wife because I, I do tend to do this kind of, I, I'm constantly curious and I, I will go super deep into something. And then I sometimes have a tendency to drop it just as quick when I feel like I've explored, when I feel like I've explored the topic to its depth yeah. and you know, however deep that topic is, will determine the timeline there. But one of the things I thought about in, the, in terms of business is like, if we can at least get to the point where we institute leadership in the business, sort of like work ourselves as founders out of the business mm-hmm. and the business continue continues to add value to the world and, and to the um, employees of the business. And I think that's a real win or it's acquired by someone that, that treats it well and continues to grow it or whatever. I guess what I'm learning is that there are cases in the past where if I would have held on just a little bit longer to get to some positive outcome, I, I wish I would have done that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of stories out there where people who felt similar, right? Like they just didn't give it enough time to really, you know, come to fruition. I'm a little worried about that yeah. too, because sometimes you don't always have the option. Like right now when I'm starting Lava, we're completely bootstrapped. We're fundraising and probably gonna close on funding very soon. So I'm not so worried, but I mean, this whole year I've been living off my savings. So financially I've been a little bit strapped and there's plenty yeah. of times where yeah. people have come along and offer me jobs that are very attractive, right? And it's easy to go and say, <laughs> well, yeah. maybe I should take that. But then you're like, if I do that now, I'm just giving up this thing that I only spent a year on. Like that wasn't that much time in, in reality. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That certainly takes discipline and, and faith, you know, in what you're doing and building. Yeah. I, you know, I, I certainly understand that. Like that's, <laughs> we started Xfusion, which is our, our main business back in April of 2020. So right in the height of COVID, right. I'm married <laughs> nice. and have uh, three kids at home. It's like, you know, it's like, it was hard to jump off, but I, it, it worked out well, but dude, that moment, cause I left a really good, you know, high paying or certainly sufficiently paying yeah. secure job to do it. So like, it certainly took some guts and faith, but not only on my part, but my wife's as well. I, I think, um, when you get into a state of flow with what you're doing, 
um, even if it's a business and that means like you have to do a million things and maybe not everything is fun or like you can focus really hard. But in general, when you like think about something and you can do it so naturally where you wake up and you think about it, you go to bed and you think about it, you go out to a bar with friends and you don't even socialize because you're thinking about whatever you're working on. Like <laughs> when you can get to that state of flow in your focus, you probably have found something that you really like. And I didn't always have that. Like I, with my other businesses, I was kind of creating them out of opportunities that I saw or out of problems that people provided me. Whereas with Lava, it was something that I experienced very personally of trying to create a oh, podcast. Oh, good stuff. Okay. I still experience yeah, okay. it. So it's easy for me to like stay focused. I mean, I, I really think, I think most would agree with me that in order to win in business, you've got to have the mindset of playing the long game. Yeah. And I would argue that to play the long game, you have to really be passionate, or certainly it helps to be passionate about the problem. It's like on a grand scale example, look at Elon Musk. I mean, like his wealth is a consequence in my mind of, of adding value to the world and, and pursuing his passion. I don't know, honestly, think he cares that he's the richest man in the world. Like, I really don't. No. Like, you know what no. I'm saying? Like, I just, it's, it's different. He, he's pursuing what he truly believes in, and I think that's really meaningful. Yeah, and sometimes you can get to more beliefs from starting somewhere. Right. Like you might start somewhere and say, okay, I have this little tiny problem that I can fix. And if I fix it, there might be a business opportunity where we can make money and maybe the money will keep motivating me in the future. Or you go down this path and you start something and you realize, oh my gosh, I actually, I love this smaller problem, but there's actually this bigger problem that I've now identified mm -hmm. and it's going to take much longer to figure out. But if I keep working on it for a very long time, like I will be able to realize that. And it's really hard. Like Elon Musk is, um, you know, he's the, the current Elon Musk in 2021 is the outcome of like quite literally 30 years of working on stuff that he believed in, starting with X.com, which transitioned to PayPal, all the way to SpaceX and Tesla. Like the first six, seven years of Tesla were like not in market, strapped on cash, really sucked. The product wasn't great. It, it wasn't even there. And now we look at him and say, wow, he's amazing. But if you looked at him 10 yeah. years ago, you'd be like, this guy is like a struggling entrepreneur who's probably depressed and anxious and broke, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did, did you, did you read or listen to the Ashley Vance biography of Elon no, Musk? No, no. I actually, to be honest, oh, it's phenomenal. I haven't studied Elon Musk a whole lot. Like I, I have a very good understanding of who he is, but I, I, I tend sure. to, I had this bad habit where when something gets trendy, I, I kind of get turned off by it. And I feel like Elon Musk is too trendy now. <laughs> sure. That's true. But I, you know, I, I I felt the same, but I listened to this Ashley Vance biography of him uh, just in my mm -hmm. car, and it's super well done, but it really talks about a lot of the failures along the way, and it very much humanizes him and the whole process. Yeah. Um, anyway, like I, I, I highly recommend it. It changed my paradigm on the whole situation, and it was refreshing to me to hear of the struggles um, that he faced and like near colossal failure. Yeah on you know, multiple occasions for both SpaceX and And it's Tesla. easy to go and like assume, oh, he was always rich from, you know, after PayPal, he made, I think like 20 million. And he ended up blowing that on basically his company is like spending it all right away. So it's easy for someone to come in and say, oh, he had $20 million, like boo hoo, feel bad for Elon Musk. But it's like, yeah, but on a relative scale, it was just as tough to go and spend basically all your money in the bank. Like if you just looked at it as a smaller level, it's yeah. still the same feeling of like, I'm doing yes. this to pursue something that I don't know will work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to transition into lava. I'm, I'm excited to hear about your passion for yeah. it and the, the motivation for starting. But first, let's set the foundation for what it is, and let's go into the details then about the uh, kind of the origination story. Sure. So, uh, like at a high level, lava is 
uh, a social network for audio. Um, and right now what we have is an iOS app coming soon to Android and then eventually web that enables you to go and um, record your conversation like what we're doing here on Riverside uh, by yourself or with others. It can be anything you want. It can be a conversation, a monologue, piece of music. It doesn't really matter. You just record your audio, you add a photo and a title, and then you share it to an algorithmic feed that matches you with the right listeners. So it's kind of like taking the idea of podcasting and evolving it to be a social network. So everyone has a profile, everyone has messaging, um, and there's just new ways to discover people and conversations uh, through this new format. Okay. Oh, this is fascinating. So look, so I want to dive in a little bit yeah. deeper. So we're having a conversation at the end of the conversation, we can build a transcript. We talked about all of these yep. things. So then is the idea that if we were to publish this on uh, lava, th then we would find other like-minded people or similarly minded people to sort of start to build a network around those. Interests? Yeah. In a, in a similar way. Um, like if you, if we posted this and we uploaded it to the app, essentially it would go straight to your profile. So everyone can go and follow you, listen to it on there and then get any other things that you post, but then also to a feed where we transcribe it and say, okay, John and Jim talked about X things, right? Talked about philosophy, mm -hmm. talked about hashtag lava, right? All these different things that our algorithms look through and say, this is probably what they're talking about. And as people listen on the app, like as they spend more time on it, we say, this is the type of thing that X user really likes to listen to. They liked this post. They commented on these types of posts. They finished this whole post. Uh, so they probably liked it or they shared this post. And through these social indicators, we can go and say, you know, Jim and John's conversation is probably ideal for X users in this community. And they come up right on their feed for them to go and dive into. Mm, that's great. I really, this is, I don't, I don't want to necessarily go on this tangent yeah. yet because it's a deep rabbit <laughs> hole, but I, I feel like that the, um, like the future of the web is very much community based Yeah. And, and not that it's not been, but I'm saying even deeper with web three technologies, blockchain, et cetera, sort of giving power back to the creator. Mm -hmm. um, let's go there maybe in a little bit, but I, I just, I'm excited about where things are going, but, but before we dive into that, I'm curious, like why, why voice? Why, why are you passionate about, about lava? Well, the, I'll, I'll go through the origin story cause that will tell a little yeah, bit more okay. as well. Um, essentially a few years ago, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, like just getting into them. Um, and I started realizing like, wow, these creators, like the people who are posting podcasts on these various podcast apps, you know, all they're really doing is having a conversation. They're really just sharing their thoughts. And in reality, they're exposing their personality, something that you don't actually see a lot on, on the internet. A lot of times you just get a text version of someone's idea or a photo of someone's life, or maybe a quick Snapchat story or whatever of what they're doing. But you don't really get to like deep dive into someone's personality for 10, 20 minutes unless you listen to them. So I realized like this audio format that is still pretty young, even though it's the oldest format of content that exists with radio, right? This format of, of content really forms this authentic connection between the creators and the consumers. And whether you're by yourself listening or creating with a bunch of friends, you get this similar experience of being in that moment. So audio just kind of appealed to me as a consumer. And when I was listening to a lot of podcasts, I was thinking, well, discovery is not great. A lot of people complain about the discovery problem. Um, I know that as a consumer myself, but then as a creator, like how hard is it? I'm, I'm not one. So why don't I try? And I tried to make a podcast and realized that you got to start out with investing in equipment. Usually you don't have to, but usually you do. Then you have to go and book all your guests, which is, you know, time consuming and whatnot. 
Then you have to learn how to use software to edit your audio or you pay someone to do that, which is oftentimes the case. And then most importantly, you have to build this brand around it. You have to make graphic design for your artwork. You have to go and um, create a social community on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be to go and get your work out there so yeah. that people discover it essentially through these other platforms, then go back to their podcast platform, then go listen to it. And it made me realize like creating a podcast right now or really at its core, like just sharing your voice online requires a lot of work. And if you look at something like photography or video or blogging and text, you realize that they all went through the same pattern where people had to do a lot of work, to buy the equipment, make a website, promote it themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the social network came along, incentivized consumers to go and participate in the consumption of that content and made it so that any creator in basically, you know, the click of a button can get their work out there and be seen. And with audio, I looked around and there just wasn't anything like that. It was just sticking to the format of podcasts, mm-hmm. right? You record offline, you upload it and host it through an RSS feed and consumers consume it through a, a pretty static app to go and listen to it. And I figured, why, why is there no social network for audio? Like, why can't there be an overlay of social incentives, social engagement, and really community interaction to make it so that people could yeah. have a voice on the internet? And that's kind of where we came up with the idea for Lava. It's a, it's a great idea. And certainly speaking to our, uh, I don't know if pain points are right. more, but certainly a challenge for us. Like, we have a team of seven or eight full-time people that work on producing the yeah. show. and. It's a, it's a hell of a lot of work. And the thought of you and I just having a quick, casual, non-edited conversation on lava, it's like, that sounds so easy. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, because it, it's like we can do ad hoc sort of conversations, not, not as much of this whole preparation, uh, especially when we know each other. Like, because I, I put out effort to learn about my guests ahead of the mm-hmm. shows, but it's like, I would love to have follow-on conversations where we just chat because we've already gotten to know each other. It's like, I, I don't know. I think that would be um, a brilliant thing yeah. to do. Yeah, and uh, and we can even bake in more editing features. Like we're already working on certain features that are that are uh, going to be really really cool uh, coming in the next year. Like this feature called audio word processing, where we transcribe your audio in real time. So when you're creating like what we're doing right now, um, after you're done, you click next, and right before you post, you have your whole transcription. You can delete a word and delete the audio with it, so you can edit it just like a word document. Like oh, it makes wow. it super easy That's crazy. you know drag and drop music clips into your your transcription as well so that you can add music into it at certain times fade out fade in and kind of turn like audio huh. into this really easy but you know um in-depth form of content that you can create on your phone just like how tiktok took this idea of video creation which was tr- traditionally pretty hard and made it so that you can be a really really powerful video creator like with a few buttons right and not that much skill just some practice yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about this idea. I, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed for you in regards <laughs> to like the challenges, the challenges of a network effect business. It's just not easy, no. man. It's like what, what are what is sort of your plan of attack to challenge? It sounds like you're considering funding. I yeah, just, I feel like that you've got to get enough people to the platform. That's just not cheap or easy. No, and that's one of the things that we're battling with early on. Like right now, we're still in private beta, and so we kind of. You know, we're, we're like pressured and anxious to go and get the network started, but we're also like giving ourselves time to like really flesh out the product experience and make sure that people really like what okay. they come for. But it's a problem of like, you have to get a lot of users um, so that you get more content, but you got to get good content so that you get more users. And <laughs> yeah, it's this yeah. like really complex battle that is hard to, um, 
hard to really piece together and I haven't perfected it yet. But yes, we're going to basically raise funding, work with creators and try to attract people onto the platform to go and actually, you know, be incentivized to create content, not because we're telling them to, but because they want to by making a really good product experience. And what is your monetization model eventually? I, I know that it you know, takes time to get there, but what sort of the monetization plan? So I have to pause real quick. My laptop just said it's about to die, so I'm going to have to move midway oh, through. Sure. But yeah. I can talk and do this. No problem. So essentially, no problem. Um, essentially the way that um, we're trying to monetize is through direct business models. So we realize that there's a lot of opportunity online to go and reward creators for the content that they're making. And we also realize that like throughout the past decade with all this, these new social networks, there's a lot of people that are really frustrated with just giving content to platforms, you know, and then reading Facebook's S1 and seeing that they made $70 billion last year, right? It's like, what did we make? Nothing. Right. Um, and so the way that we see it is that there's actually a lot of opportunities to go and reward people for making content. So for example, you can enable guest booking. So on Lava, you can go and book anyone's time for a price that that person set. And that makes it so that anyone now can actually charge for their time. It's valuable to them, but then also to someone who wants to go and book that guest they get access without having to go through this weird complex, like DMing situation of like, how do I get this person's attention? It's like, I can just pay for this person's time. Um, and we can do things like that, plus tipping, plus, you know, exclusive content subscri subscriptions for creators as well. And all of those models reward creators and make it so that they can actually go and um, get rewarded for the work they have and also have more incentives to go and keep creating good content. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. And if that doesn't work, which we'll see, if that doesn't work, we'll just roll with advertising because that's what works in social media. <laughs> you know, sure. kind of a proven business model. Sure. Yeah. Have you considered tokenizing Lava? Or, or I, I don't know how familiar you are with sort of Web3 and blockchain technologies, et cetera, but I'm curious if that's something that you've considered. Yeah. Yeah. Doing. So actually, I tried to start a company a few years ago um, that was based on Ethereum which is the uh, interesting part. Uh, so essentially this company that I tried to create enabled anyone with a solar panel to go, it's, it's funny, I'm like doing all this work trying to get my, uh, my computer charged <laughs> up. But um, essentially this company that we had enabled anyone with a solar panel to sell their energy to their next door neighbor. So it kind of took the idea of net metering okay. and democratized it. So it made it so okay. that if you had a solar panel, you can make money. And if you don't have a solar panel, you get access to cheap green electricity. And we did this on Ethereum uh, with the idea of like, well, let's just decentralize the entire thing. And so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with like the idea of crypto and Web3. Like I've been involved in making these types of technologies for years now. And the way that we see it is that like we could go and make it so that anyone could create their audio as like an NFT, right? They could go and uh -huh. um, tokenize their time as well. So I'm very open-minded to tokenizing, but I will say, I think that the industry as a whole can get a little overhyped and that's dangerous. So we're being very cautious about not just positioning ourselves as a web three company. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that because I know that there's a lot of fanboys of crypto and, and admittedly I would consider myself to be a, a recent convertee of this, but, but I understand that not all that glitters is gold and the like uh, decentralization is not ideal in every circumstance. So like, what are the challenges in adopting? Like, I don't know if, if, you know, if, um, Lava could be a, a DAO or like sort of how you would go about that. But tell me about like, what would the downsides be, I guess? Well, here's the thing. This is what I discovered with uh, the first company that I had that was building that, you know, uh, green electricity, like <laughs> Ethereum application. 
essentially consumers don't necessarily care about crypto as much as we'd like to think. You know, people in tech, they might sit on Twitter all day and think, oh, the whole world's thinking about crypto. But in reality, it's, it's still a very small community. And to this day, yeah. um, after studying it for the past four or five years, I still find it hard to find the exact value to why we need cryptocurrencies for everything, right? There's very certain applications where ownership online is very applicable, right? Like NFTs, brilliant idea. Like artwork should have ownership. That's how it works in the real world. It's a shame that it's not like that on the mm-hmm. internet. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But in terms of like a lot of people just raising a ton of money or having this DAO or this token, um, you know, a lot of times you, you read what they're trying to do and you think, I don't know if a distributed database is going to make a big difference here, right? Like we got to take a step back and say, what is this really doing for the end consumer of this product? And it, and mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of times people just like the idea of having this decentralized network, this decentralized application, but they don't necessarily think, well, like we have really great centralized applications as well. And it tends to actually be easier for consumers to understand. So it's, it's a tricky balance. Hmm. Yeah. I listened to a podcast I think it was the Bankless podcast. Mark Cuban was a guest, and he was talking about adoption of crypto. And basically what he said in a, in a nutshell is that you have to make it easy for consumers. It has to be attractive and very simple to understand where they don't need to understand the technology. What they need to understand is like if I'm a creator, an audio creator, and I'm going to go live on the, the Lava platform, yeah. I'm going to do better with my creation. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to build a larger audience or whatever. I'm going to have a larger piece of the pie instead of just a sliver. That's attractive to me as a creator. Right. It's like, I don't care about the underlying technology, but like, if you could make that happen for me, then as a creator, that's a huge win. Huge win. Huge win. And I, I totally agree with you. Like if you can give ownership in the right situations, like all the power to you, right? Like with tipping, you could do it with crypto. There's no reason to why you can't do that. There's no reason to why you can't have certain tokens for individual creators go and sell their work as individual pieces or as, you know, um, community access, like access by buying into that community. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's still tricky. I think it's still early on as well. Like Bitcoin came out in 2008 and it really didn't get popular until like the big ICO craze of 2017. And even yeah. today, like, you know, a lot of companies have floundered out. You see applications come and go all the time. There's really big visions. There's a lot of money being tossed around. Uh, but I think just like any other industry, it's just going to be like consolidated to like the really valuable ideas that people just somehow unlocked, right? They just, they just worked hard enough, sure. worked long enough to unlock that idea. Uh, not just because it was trendy, yeah. but because they actually believe that like there's real value here. I, I've got a, a more broad question for you that you can sort of drill down into the areas that I think that you think are relevant. But I, I consider that, that there are a good number of downsides to social networks, social yeah. media in general. And it sounds like you would agree in, in general. Yeah, there's a lot of upsides in that. Okay, so indeed. So like as it relates to the downsides, I mean, you're at this place where you're in the genesis of the creation of lava what are you planning to do or do you plan to do anything to sort of mitigate or maybe eliminate some of those downsides through this platform yeah so like you know one downside is bullying another one is fake news right um things can get spread pretty easily on social networks it's a, a good and a bad thing like for example a good thing recently in chicago it's a good thing but it's unfortunate recently someone uh, went missing. Uh, someone in my age group. I didn't know the person. I don't think most of my friends knew the person, but all week long, I was seeing stories of reposted saying this person's missing, this person's missing. And it was crazy. because it, it was hundreds of people. And I was like, wow, like that is powerful that there's someone missing. And like, everyone's willing to just jump in and just post a really quick story and kind of get the word out. 
And um, that was something where I looked at it and was like, this is one of those times where I really appreciate social media. And I think it kind of gets undervalued of like, that wouldn't have been possible if, you know, there wasn't social media, there wasn't Instagram stories out there for people to go and reshare. This person would have been missing and like 10 people would have known. So who knows what would have happened. But then on the flip side, there are downsides as well. Like you can get fake information um, out into the world and it's not always easy to recognize, right? Like it's hard for something like even as big as Facebook to identify what is good and bad information, what should be said and what shouldn't. And for us, we're going to face the same problems because we're kind of giving this open format, you know, social network. And it could even be harder because this open format social network enables people to like rant right? Like through audio. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's not quick information where we can just like cipher through, you know, 250 characters like Twitter. Like we have to really like have very complex machine learning models to understand like what something's talking about very quickly and gain context. So what we're going to do though, is we're going to implement a lot of like modern technologies to go and analyze what people are saying and moderate it. But then also really abide by like like a general philosophy of what our community wants. Like we, we don't think that having an open format, like what Parler did is necessarily the best idea. Like even in the, you know, in America, in the first amendment, there's freedom of speech, but that actually does have constraints and people don't necessarily see that because not everyone's a lawyer. Right. I didn't even see it until I really looked into the law of it. And so we're kind of trying to abide by those rules and say like, what is right, what should be said and what can't be said and whatever shouldn't be said or whatever might be labeled as fake news. Like we need to, quickly identify that and label that and make sure that people are aware of it. Maybe not take it down, but just understand that like, this is something that you have to be more conscious about. And we're going to tell you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very responsible. I, I'm, I'm really excited about the future uh, of lava. I, I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm actually quite surprised that nobody's sort of pulled this off yet. Yeah. Um, same. But it's certainly going to be with its, with its challenge. Yeah. It's going to be with its challenges though. It's like, I, like you said, the network effect is, is quite a challenge. And I'm, I'm curious, like, where are you at in the business now? What stage are you at? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you're, it sounds like you're planning on taking on funding. Kind of where are you at now and what's, what does 2022 look like? So right now we're privately beta testing our iOS app, um, which has been really awesome because like, you kind of, you, we like baked in a lot of features for like organic growth, but we never know what's going to happen. It's just like when you release something in the world, you're like, mm, you know, will people see this? Will people discover it? Will people share it? And, you know, we got like a few hundred people on and then all of a sudden just started growing organically to a couple thousand. And I will say it's because we put the right features in place. Like we studied, like, how do we make this so shareable and easily like downloadable? Um, But with that being said, I was very happy with the organic growth. And so we're going to be releasing the app pretty soon, like to the actual public on the app store for everyone to access uh, in 2022. And we're going to roll out Android that like basically Q1 of 2022 we're going to build a web app so that you can access it on your desktop because that's how a lot of people create podcasts in the first place, like what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So in terms of the product, we're going to keep evolving it to get to more platforms so that more people have access to it. But also we're going to keep evolving the feature set that we have. Right. So right now audio is so basic. It's like what you said, like you can just record raw um, and that's kind of it. But there's all these complex editing tools that you can make really, really great audio with. It, you know, you can use, artificial intelligence to take out the background noise automatically to make someone's audio sound like they have a microphone that is studio grade, but all we're doing is using software. You know, you can add music mm. and effects into that and basically make it so that content can get more dynamic by adding more ability to be a creator and more editing features. 
So we're really going to be focused on that. And then finally, we're really focused on just growing the community, which is, like you said, a tricky thing. But I think deep down, if you create a good product that people like to use, because they either like the community that they're in or the content that they're consuming or creating, then uh, we won't have to necessarily worry so much about the network growing. We'll just do it organically. Yeah. How have the conversations been going with investors? Well, okay. So I'm in a tricky spot because I live in Chicago. And so Chicago as a, as a tech focused community is very uh, B2B, right? Like, and even as a business community okay. in general, it's very back service um, type city. There's a lot of financial services, insurance companies, logistics, manufacturing. There's not a whole lot of consumer apps. Like one of them that really blew up in mm-hmm. Chicago that people now are aware of like around the country and around the world is Cameo. And that thing kind of, that company took Chicago, like, or, like kind of put it on the map as like, okay, maybe there is potential to build consumer products here. Maybe it's not LA where like every other app is consumer focused, but there's potential and there's employee base here. Um, and so with that, like going to these investors, like most of the investors that I'm talking to, at least in the local city um, in Chicago, they haven't necessarily done consumer investments ever. Like they're all used to B2B. Okay. And so it takes a lot more time for me to go and convince them why this is valuable because I can't just show them um, a really clearly defined market. We're kind of creating our own market, right? I can't just show them like these crazy revenues because with the social network, you kind of have to push off the revenues until you have better growth or, you know, larger user base. Mm -hmm. So I have to show them different metrics and help them understand why that's a good thing. And we've gotten some investors pretty interested. So I I would say in general, they're they're very open-minded and they're willing to, to learn. But... Also, a lot of people, like what you're saying, are like excited because the opportunity to go and create like a social network for audio just hasn't really been filled. Like you could argue maybe like Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces are doing that, but they're doing it in a different format where it's like live. It's like you're going on a show. It's not not the same format that we've seen on other social networks where you kind of consume or discover post the content creation. And that's where we're really focused on. Like we see this big gap. It's what we like. That's what we appreciate. And that's what we're aiming to do. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see it? Have you taken on? Where do you see the the audio community going? I mean, you're a podcaster. You're involved in this. I like the medium. I mean, that's a personal preference, Mm -hmm. I guess. But I just, it's, you know, from a human connection perspective, it's so much more rich. We've all had that experience of descending into awful text message conversations where, like, you're completely (laughs) and totally misunderstood. And it's awful and it causes relational damage. And it's like... And I'm sure that happens online. I, I love the idea of sharing via audio. And I've also been thinking a lot about this idea of connection, like human connection and COVID and remote culture. I mean, it's like we started our business, as I said, back in April of 2020. We're at roughly 50 employees and we've closed a good number of nice. deals. Never have I ever met any of our customers in person, ever. Interesting. And I'm not like, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying like, we've closed all of our deals like this on zoom. And, and it's just, I don't know that I love that, but it's like, it's where we're going. So it's like, in light of that, what can we do to increase human connection? And that circles back, I believe to this idea of audio. Um, I'm curious, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but I'm curious how you see that, like how you've thought about human connection as it relates to audio. Yeah. Uh, the way that we see that lava is that um, just with audio and outside of audio, like the way that we're trying to do is, the company that we're trying to build is not just this app to go and create audio. It's really this, um, this whole idea of creating an authentic social internet, right? It's something that is 
is not really there anymore. Like oftentimes you don't necessarily get someone's full personality. You don't really fully understand them. And that's because the way that this social internet yeah. has evolved is that it's like, um, it, it's not super focused on, on being democratic, right? Like you've seen this on Instagram and on Twitter where the people with a lot of followers get rewarded. But then you see things like TikTok come around and it's like anyone actually has the ability to go and get really famous really quick because they're matching the right um, creators with the right communities. And TikTok's been a big inspiration for us because we're like, what they did for video, we could easily do for audio. We could also do that in a different format of video. We could also do that with text. And we, we could go and take the same idea of like making a democratic social network, democratic like social internet in general, so that anyone has a chance to go and find their exact audience. Do you see, how would I phrase this? I feel like that certain social media platforms attract certain users. Yeah. And I know that this is like generally, and I think of Twitter as kind of a, a hangout for techie intellectuals. Yeah. Uh, again, not always. I, I get that. Like there's, there's a wide range, but I'm saying like in general, I feel like that that's like certain social platforms sort of, sort of build a reputation for attracting certain types of people. Do you see this being the same as that? And then if so, who would that sort of group be? Um, I'm reluctant to say yes, because I hope that we have a really big, diverse community in the future. But yeah, I think like if you look at all these social networks, like they kind of capped out at a certain level, like with the exception of maybe Facebook, because Facebook was very generalized. Like it was just like, you kind of just add anything on there. Any form of content goes on Facebook. Yeah. It's just like a big bowl of spaghetti of just everything. Whereas like Twitter is very much like you're, you're mainly just going there to tweet. Instagram, you're mainly just mm -hmm. going there to post a photo. Right. And with those formats of content, you get the people that really like those formats, whether they're creators or consumers. Yeah. And naturally with audio, like it's long form most of the time, at least with podcasts. Um, and so it's, it's like only going to be really good for the people that like that stuff. You know, like, mm -hmm. like I would love to say, okay, 3 billion people on the internet, all 3 billion are going to be podcast listeners or creators. It's probably not likely, right? Like there's not even more than 400 million people who use Twitter. So it's just like, Maybe the internet does have limits and caps. And with that being said, I'm sure that we're going to find our community and it's going to form naturally around a certain demographic of people. Who that is, is hard to tell. Because when I've talked to like podcast yeah. listeners and creators, it's kind of all over the map. There's like kind of something for everyone. It's more of a matter of like teaching consumers or like showing consumers that there is something for you, that, that you do actually belong no matter where, like what community you yeah. identify with. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, John, I know, I know we're running close on time. There's a couple other things I wanted to talk to you about. I, the first is, and I want to pan really far back okay. here, at high level. What, what is your big why as a person, not just with lava, but just in general? I mean, you're a, a young entrepreneur. Like, where are you headed? What is the, the purpose of all of this for you? That's deep. That's a deep question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean what I discovered, like I, I studied finance in college. I thought I was going to be an investment banker. And the thing that always fascinated me with like, was, um, that money begets money that it can just create it more. It wasn't like the wealth that you get from it. It's just the idea that like, wow, you kind of created something out of nothing. And there's actually this theme that I've identified where I didn't go into finance, but I started actually building products. And I realized that like my, my hands, my, my mind, my ideas were creating something out of nothing. And as soon as I started building these products, especially Lava, because it's been my most intense and involved product that I've built, um, I started to realize that like, you can build things that make other people creative, 
or you can build things that like put other people onto new mediums, new formats of, or ways of thinking, ways of living. And with all that, it just kind of like pieced together. And it made me think like, I don't really want to do anything that's not helping other people out. And it's not in the sense of like individual one-on-one, like I always need to be like, you know, connecting with people, helping them, connecting them. It's, it's more of like, can we go and help a lot of people out at scale by, by creating something super simple for everyone to use? So it's not a very clear answer, I guess. It's more of just the pattern of like, I really like creating things because it puts other people um, front and center, depending on what you create, of course. No, I actually, I think it is pretty clear, actually. It reminds me of the, have you read the Paul Graham essay on wealth? Yes, that's, wealth is a great one. Yeah, and that's, you make, you can help me here because it's been a long yeah. time since I've read it, but it reminds, like what you're saying reminds me of that, where it's like, it's not, and this, when I read it was a, a very paradigm shifting thought. It's like, it's not a zero sum game. There's not a finite amount of wealth available in the world. And that we have the ability to create wealth basically out of nothing through our contributions with our minds and hands, as you were saying, you know, it's like, exactly. I, that's a super deep topic and remarkably meaningful, Yeah, which I think is motivating. And, and wealth goes way beyond uh, fi- financial wealth, which is like typically what most people yeah, would think yes. of, right? Like yeah. creating wealth is also, you know, passing on information, like what we were describing earlier, like at the beginning of this conversation, creating wealth is giving people new opportunities to go and meet other people, right? Human wealth, social wealth, financial wealth, there's all sorts of wealth. And if you can create a product yes. that expands the wealth in this world, whether it is financial, whether it is informational, it doesn't matter what it is. If you can expand the wealth by giving people new opportunities to discover that wealth, create that wealth, then you in theory are doing something really valuable for the world, right? And too often, this is a little like, I'm not shooting a shot at anyone, but too often people get stuck in these ways of like, I got to just build a career. I got to get a job. I got to pay for my house, my family. They, they just kind of yeah. get stuck in the system that is built for them um, because it's a little bit easier and more structured. Yeah. But those people, you know, they spend their whole lives and, and they reflect and think, what wealth did I build for other people other than the financial wealth that I built for my family? And I don't want to have that life. Like I'm only 26 now. I don't want to be 70 and say I didn't build anything for anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it reminds me of, so you know, like five years ago and for a period of about five years, I was a sex crimes against children detective. Whoa, that's a transition. And like, what, Yeah, way, way <laughs> different. And I, I'm making a point with this, but I was like heavy industry, heavy topic, um, very, very difficult. But you know, yeah. like, and I saw awful things, but what bothered me more than anything is that I was only one person and I was passionate about what I did. And I feel like I made an impact and a contribution, but it bothered me so much that I was just one person and I couldn't at the time multiply my passion to serve a greater audience. And I, I think of that often and I, I hope someday I can return to that world by way of a nonprofit or somehow multiply my effect. But I think about that in business. It's like our, our mission at Xfusion is to employ 10,000 people in developing countries with high paying remote jobs in, in 10 years. It's like, that is like incredibly motivating. But the point is like, what can I do to multiply my passion to impact the greater number of people? And I find that incredibly challenging, but also incredibly rewarding. And I feel like that's the vein of kind of what you're getting at. Is yeah. It not? Oh, definitely. It's just the idea of scalability. Like, can you take something and, and scale it out to a lot of people, yeah. whether that's, um, you know, just a product that they can use or like, the wealth that they can generate, like the information or, or whatever help you could offer at yeah. scale, it tends to work better, right? And in the world of information, even though we're talking about Web3 and whatnot, like in the world of Web2, like mm-hmm. where the internet is really dominant, like that it actually enables scale to happen like, rather easily. 
still a lot of work. Yeah. To do it. So what's the, like, when I think about like, to your point earlier about some people are content in, I don't know what the right way to say this, like kind of a singular focus. Yeah. Why? Like I, I feel a total lack of peace and I don't want this to sound like I'm something special and everybody else is not. I don't, I don't mean that. I'm just saying like, I'm trying to tease out what is the reason why people can find contentment in not contributing something of greater value to the world. You know, it's fear or like what, what's the reason? Because like if more people felt differently about that, much more wealth in every form of the word would be created. Well, I think it's a combination of fear and, um, and closed mindedness. I, um, because humans kind of run off this, this natural anxiety, natural fear of survivorship, right? You like, you have to survive. And oftentimes what that translates to in, in modern society is just like make money because that's how you go and buy food. That's how you go and buy shelter. That's how you buy, basically buy life. Yeah. And it's really, really tough to be an entrepreneur and start your own thing. Like living off your own savings is not a fun thing to do, you know, and, and grinding and doing side projects because you need money is not fun to do. But if you had a job or if I had a job and I was doing lava, I wouldn't be able to focus and build what we did. So it's almost like a necessary evil that I have to go and take these risks and these jumps. Most of my friends, yeah. most of the people that I know are not comfortable with that. They're not comfortable taking off one year of salary because I mean, who knows if they'll ever get it back or who knows what will happen with it. Right. And, but then also they're close minded because uh, maybe they don't explore enough to understand what they really like. like I, I didn't, know that I would like podcasting so much two years ago when I first started this. I didn't know that I'd be really mm. into social media and social audio until I started exploring it. And sometimes, or at least in my past, what I've experienced is that like you get down a certain track, you get down finance. For the first two years in college, I was down finance. And you don't open your mind to the other things that are out there. You just kind of stay on that because you're like, this is what I must do. And I look at a lot of my friends and they're kind of stuck in that. Like they're just, they don't look outside of what their field is. I hope that this could serve as a catalyst to anybody that's listening that would that is considering doing something along the And the point I think in this is that it doesn't matter what it is. It's like whatever they're uniquely gifted yeah. at and passionate about, like that's that's the idea, right? But to, just to take that chance and sort of go after it. Yeah, the, the philosophy that I've always had is that everywhere you look in the world, like there's things everywhere. There's clothes on your back. There's chairs that you're sitting in. There's computers that we're on. They were built by someone. Right? And they wouldn't exist if that someone did not go and take the effort to go and make that thing. And it's easy to look around and say, yeah. well, they're all built. Everything's, everything's done. We're all good. It's a little bit harder to go and find what's not built or at least what's not built well and try to fix that. Yeah. But if you can just tell yourself like, hey, like someone needs to do this. I don't care if there's competitors out there doing it, whether it's a business, or I don't care if there are other things that maybe are doing the same thing. Maybe there should be more of this thing. Maybe I should go and build it. Cause someone has to, and maybe I'm that person because I care enough to go do it. Yeah. Hmm. I, I want to end with this. I, I'm curious if you were to go back in time mm -hmm. and speak to your younger self, what advice you would give yourself? And I know some people may say like, Oh, John, you're only 26. Like, I don't, I don't think of, of life experience in terms of like just years, but iterations. And you've had a, a, a significant amount of experience in the startup space and it, we can go more broad than that, but I'm just, I'm just curious what you would tell your former self or advise your former self based on what you've now discovered or, or learned. I think that I would probably tell myself to, to, uh, to find, to study more essentially. I, I'm trying to like phrase it right, but I didn't, yeah, I, yeah. I, I read a decent amount of books and, but I didn't start reading until the end of college, just like three or four years ago. And 
like after that, I've just been like really hammered into reading and exploring all these different fields, different opportunities. And because of that reading or because of that like curiosity, like back to the whole original theme of like finding curiosity, like once I discovered that I really like curiosity and I, I should have that as like a mental frame of thought is always be curious. I kind of just started like opening my mind to like what the world's potential is. And when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, before I traveled around the world, before I like got to see other cultures, tried to put myself in their shoes, before I read a lot of books and before I like just kind of actually became more like aware of what's going on in society, I was just kind of closed-minded, didn't study a whole lot, didn't necessarily care about learning new things. I just kind of lived life and floated. And I think if I went back 10 years and told myself, hey, maybe you should just open a book once in a while and see what, what is in there. Maybe you should go and just watch an interesting documentary on some random culture that you never thought you cared about. Um, maybe I'd be a little bit of a better person or at least more aware of what's going on. But I discovered that, so I'm happy. You know, like I'm on that path. It just took a little while to get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. What about you? That's, that's good Maybe stuff. people don't ask you questions too oh, much, but what would you tell your younger self? Turn the table yeah, on me. Um, my gosh, that's, let's see. That was unexpected. <laughs> you know, I have appreciated the journey of learning more about myself. And I wish that I would have opened my eyes to that sooner and been more, I guess, I guess less focused on improving my weaknesses and instead doubling down on my strengths yeah. and finding great people, which I finally, like, this is a work in progress, but it's like, we have this, I feel like I just keep talking. Like we have this incredible team that is just amazing. And we've recently brought up one of our team members, uh, Joanne into an operations nice. leadership role. And she's incredible. And she fills in, in areas that I'm really poor at. And we have other members of our team that do the same thing. And like, that's been just incredible to kind of learn about myself and also just being like, and this one of these goes back to the idea. Like there's, there's no new ideas really uh, that you mentioned earlier. No, no new ideas under the sun. But one of the things is like, um, just recognizing that like nobody really has this figured out. We're all just iterating and experimenting and trying things and just being open to try it and divorcing myself from the results. So long as I know that I've done my best each day. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's what tends and that's hard. It, oh, it's super hard. It tends to hold you back. Like the ego is the best and the worst thing in the world. Right. It's a thing that motivates you, you and go. gets you yeah. going, but at the same time, it's a thing that can destroy you and, and mentally break you down. Uh, the self-awareness is, is mm. huge. I, it's, it's not always easy to get. Like you, It's not like you can just like, go meditate and you'll be self-aware. Like You really have to like take time to think about what you like and what you are and who you are, mm -hmm. but not by like saying, oh, like thinking in your mind, like, oh, what am I? It's actually about like observing what you are with other people, right? Like you, you talk to mm -hmm. a lot of people, you get their ideas and you observe what type of people they are and you actually will get a better picture of who you are because you like them right? yeah. or don't like them. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything has its time and place. I just kind of, I wish that I would have started that earlier. Like I'm still discovering thing. I'm 39 actually next week nice. and I'm discovering all these things about myself that I just didn't know. And, and I know I needed to take this path to get to where I'm at now in that discovery process, but I'm also trying to kind of filter through like Naval had, I think this is Naval had a quote that he said, uh, teach your kids early what you learned late was it <laughs> Naval or Richard Feynman, one of the two, but it's like, that's good. And like, that's been really important to me, like to, to focus on teaching my kids, the things that 
I wish I had discovered earlier. One of those is the value of compounding oh, yeah. in, in money, in relationships, et cetera. And uh, I've had those conversations with my girls recently. And it's just like, you know, as it relates to the compound interest, you know, financially, like showing them a compound interest calculator, they're 14 and 15. It's like, you know, like if you just started with this little amount and added this little amount each month, by the time you're 65, it's like, it's a massive amount of money, like of course. Amount. And, and same yeah. with your network, your social network. Too many people yes. around my age, they graduate college, they get into their career and they stop networking. Like they only network the people within their company or within their industry. And as an entrepreneur, I kind of have to step out of those bounds because like, I'm like, I have to get investors, I have to get customers. You got to do a lot of things. Yeah. So you got to network a lot. Yeah. And I realized like the more that you network, like the way more valuable whatever you're doing becomes. Because like once you're like yeah. you know, older, you're 39, once you're 49, the network that you've established up until 39 is going to be compounded, right? The people that the relationships that you form, Absolutely. the people that you know, is just going to like double in value, triple in value because there's more trust there. There's more time spent. There's just a lot more there yeah. because that compounding effect. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. John, this has been absolutely a blast. <laughs> yeah. I'm really disappointed that we're out of time. That's and fun. I apologize for going over. I know I promised you less time, but I just didn't want to stop. This was um, fun. So, Thanks for being gracious with your time. Thanks for the, the wisdom that you shared. The website for Lava is joinlava.com. And I see that there's a little QR code where people can download uh, the iOS version of the app. Is that fair yeah, to say? So now it's just going to be the beta app, but then we're going to switch that out and it's going to be the, the real app once it's in the app store. Excellent. And you're available on Twitter, it looks like, and also LinkedIn. We can share those links. What's the best way to, for people to reach out to say hello? Or I mean, obviously they know how they can try the app, but if other founders want to you know, shoot you a hello. What's the best way to yeah, do that? Yeah, I mean, of course, you can uh, direct message me on Lava. That is a feature there. And so I, I talk to people all the time on my own app. It's it's kind of a funny, very meta. You're like, wow, I'm, you know, messaging people right where I'm, uh, something I built. Uh, but then also they can just shoot me an email, which is john at joinlava.com. I'm actually adding to my to-do list and click up, download Lava. Yeah, nice. Shoot me a message. I don't want to forget. I. I'm excited about giving it a shot. Like I, I truly love this medium and I obviously, and I, I'm very curious to, to give it a shot. Um, thanks again, John, anything, any parting words, anything else you wanted to share before we part ways? No, I, I really appreciated this. Uh, it was amazing. I think what we talked about was way more than the typical, tell us about lava, tell us about yourself, right? Like we got into like really good conversation, <laughs> which I, I really enjoyed. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, John. Thank you.